If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to Luke. We will be in Luke chapter 9, and we will start in verse 26. Luke chapter 9 and verse 26, and as we begin reading, you'll probably recognize a couple of the, the first couple of verses because we are actually taking a step back um, and covering the last couple of verses that we looked at last time to lead into our text today. And we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. And last week, you might remember that we looked at Jesus' high call of discipleship. You remember Jesus told us what it cost to be his disciple. And what he said was that in the daily mundane, what we, what we call today the rat race of life, just in the, in the daily decisions, the daily relationships we have, we are to take up our cross and follow him. He, he says it's not just a one-time thing. It's not that you walk down the aisle and that's it. But rather he calls us to daily take up our cross and following him, follow him. And then he closes in verse 27 with a puzzling statement. He says that there are some standing there who would not taste death until they had seen the kingdom of God. Now I didn't take opportunity last week to look at that and, and talk about it, but, but just consider what on earth is he saying? I mean, we look around and we see death and destruction and broken relationships, and we see all these different things that are going on in this world. Uh, and, 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 I mean, religiously, people are far from God. The name of Jesus is scoffed at. It's mocked. And we look at this and we say, well, how is that? I mean, surely that's not the kingdom of God. If it is, how is that different from the way the world has always been? And if it's not the kingdom of God, in what way, how could Jesus be, say that there were some standing there he was looking at them in the eye. How could he say that there were some standing there who would not taste death, they would not die until they had seen the kingdom of God? We're hopefully going to answer those questions as we look at our text. So if you found Luke chapter 9 and are able to, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 26 and read down to verse 36. Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father, and of the holy angels. But I say to you truthfully, there are some of those standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, his appearance, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. Thank you, you may be seated. Now, even though we started out in verse 26, I really want us to begin looking in verse 27. And I want you to see here the promise that was made. The promise that was made. Now, Jesus promised those standing there, specifically the 12 apostles, the ones we call the disciples. He said, there are some of you standing here today who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. Now, Luke links what he says there in, in verse 27. He links it liter 
in, in, in literature, uh, he, he links it to what he says in verses 28 and following with the transfiguration. And it seems clear that Luke is trying to communicate that what Jesus has promised in verse 27 is fulfilled in verses 28 and following in the transfiguration. And, and so, so some of these kingdom, or, or, yeah, some of these disciples, Jesus says, are going to see the kingdom of God, and that's going to be fulfilled in the transfiguration. Now we need to ask ourselves, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Now that phrase is used in different ways by different biblical authors and, and in different contexts. Sometimes it speaks about something that, is, that was present at all times. The, the, the Bible talks about God's kingdom reigning over all. Sometimes it talks about uh, what was present in Jesus' day as, as his kingdom was bursting onto the scene and intruding into, into human history. So, for instance, Jesus came onto the scene along with John the Baptist and said, Repent. Why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. Other times, it's a reality. It's spoken about as a reality that's yet to be fulfilled. This is something that will happen at the eschaton, at the end of time. This is, this is when Jesus comes back, the, the final judgment happens, and his visible earthly kingdom is set up in this world. So, so, so the, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, it talks about the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our God. So, so the kingdom is an already and a not yet reality. So, so Jesus says, there are some of you standing here who will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God. Now, whether we talk about the, the coming kingdom or the unseen reality of, the, of God's rule over all creation that's presently happening, one of the things that characterizes the kingdom of God is glory. Glory. So when you, when you read the Bible, you, talk, you, you see talk about uh, the glory of God. You read about God's glorious throne. You read about the glory of the angels and so on and so forth. And we see it in our text today too. Look at, look at verse 26 again. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me, and notice, notice all the glory that's mentioned here, who is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look at verse 28 and see how this is a fulfillment of the promise made in verse 27. Okay, so let's, let's start working our way through it. Verse 28, some eight days later. Now, if you read Matthew and Mark, they both record this event, and they say it happened six days later. Now, immediately, you're probably saying, hold on now, Pastor. What, two of them say six, one says eight. How do we make sense of that? Is that not a contradiction? Well, notice what he says. He says it's about eight days. He doesn't say exactly eight days. So on one hand, I mean, just on, a, on just a general sense, it's no contradiction because six is about eight. But even more specifically, Luke is evidently counting the day that this uh, teaching's happening because he's talked about discipleship and so forth, and the day of the transfiguration and the six days in between. Matthew and Mark just talk about the six days in between. That accounts for the difference between the six days and the eight days. Anyway, uh, a few days later, Jesus takes his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain. We don't know for sure which one, probably Mount Hermon, possibly Mount Tabor. But they go up on the mountain, and he goes up there to pray. Again, uh, Luke is highlighting Jesus' prayer life. While he's praying, the disciples fall asleep. Now, remember, that is not uncommon, because they do this in Gethsemane as well. Um, they, they fall asleep while Jesus is praying. While they're asleep, his appearance changes. Now, you might have a couple questions that come to your mind. Number one, how could they fall asleep while the transfiguration's happening? And number two, how could they be asleep in the middle of the day? Well, two things. Number one, 
Verse 32 says, when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. So they didn't fall asleep while the transfiguration was happening. They woke up because it was happening. Okay, they had fallen asleep while he was praying. He, he, his appearance was changed. It woke him up. And so that's, that's not really an issue. You might say to yourself, well, how could they be asleep during the middle of the day? But that's probably not as much of a question for many of us as it used to be. We, we probably understand how you can be asleep in the middle of the day. Uh, just you get a little catnap. But realize this is probably evening or, or quite possibly late at night. Because Jesus has been doing all this teaching, and then they go up on the mountain. So they, they've had this day of, of ministry, which is tiring. They get up there. They're sitting quietly while, while Jesus is off praying. And if you're like me, maybe you, I, I know that you are because you, you do it whenever I'm, I'm up here preaching. You, you sit still for a minute. What happens? You fall asleep. And so these guys, they'd had a day of, of hard ministry. They were tired. They get up there. It's, it's, they're, they're being quiet. I, I'm, I'm terrible about deer hunting. I like to go. I like to get away from everything out in nature. But if I sit there, I fall asleep, which is not a good thing when you're sitting in a deer stand. But, holding the gun. But, these guys are up here. It's probably late at night. Jesus has a, a history of praying through the night. And, and, uh, and if you look at verse 37 in your Bibles, which we didn't read this, but if you look at verse 37, it says, On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. So this was an overnight thing. So quite possibly, quite probably, um, Jesus had this happen at nighttime, which would explain why they were asleep. So anyway, look at verse 29 again. They, they see, I want you to see his glory and, and see what they experienced. Verse 29 says, while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different. Now, Luke does not tell us how it became different, just different. Well, Matthew chapter 17, verse 2 records this event, and it says that his face shone like the sun. Next it says in verse 29 that his clothing, the appearance of his clothing changed. It became white and gleaming. Mark says that it was whiter than any launderer on earth could get them. Matthew and Mark describe his clothing as being radiant and white like light. Luke says they were gleaming. And the word here has the idea of, of being bright like lightning. And you probably have, have been out at night sometimes, be driving along maybe, and, and there's a storm, and when that lightning flashes in the sky, it just lights up everything. It's like, whoa, that is, that is the appearance of Christ. And the idea is not that light was shining down on him, making him radiant, but rather light was coming from without. He was iridescent. He, he was radiating light. And you can imagine the brightness that was being experienced because not only was he bright because he was, some of his glory was being unveiled, but it was nighttime. They didn't have security lights. They didn't have street lights. They didn't have porch lights. So it's dark up there on this mountain, and, and all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were, well, sore afraid. They, they were terrified. And we see that later. So... So when we read this description, for me, it reminds me of what John records in Revelation chapter 1. It talks about the appearance of Christ and his glory in Revelation 1, chapter, uh, verses 13 through 15. He says, And in the middle of the lamp stands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to, his, to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His, hair and his, his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. 
and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And what's, what's happening here is that Jesus is, is pulling back the veil, as it were, and, and revealing his glory. See, Philippians 2 tells us that the, in the incarnation, in Christ taking on human flesh, Jesus did not cease being God. Jesus, Jesus was clothed, as it were, in humanity. He was truly God and truly man. Now, contrary to what a lot of paintings you've seen, Jesus didn't walk around glowing. Now, you probably have seen pictures where Jesus is in prayer or Jesus is standing at the door knocking and, and all these different pictures. And, and one of the things that you see many times is a glow around his head. Realize Jesus didn't walk around glowing. He looked like any other person. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, Judas had to identify him. Because if he was walking around glowing at nighttime, Judas could have said, they would have said, well, how do we, how do we pick out the right one? Well, he's the only one that glows. No, he, they didn't do that. He had to identify him because he looked like any other man. He, he, yet on the mountain, Jesus allowed them to get a glimpse of his glory for a time. And notice, notice it wasn't just his glory that they saw. Look at verse 31. Uh, well, at the end of verse 30, it talks about Moses and Elijah who, verse 31, appearing in glory. They had glory as well, not because they had some quality that, that they possessed that, that made them uh, radiate light, but it, it's kind of like, you remember when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he got the Ten Commandments what, and he came down, what does his faith, face do? His face shone because he was reflecting, he had been in the, the presence of God and there was some residual effect, you might say. He came down and his face shone. Likewise, these men were, have been in God's presence and there was glory associated with them. And not only did he see the glory of they see the glory of the sun, not only did they see the glory that the prophets were sharing in, but look at verses 34 and 35, they see the Shekinah glory of God. You say, Pastor, sounds like you're speaking in tongues. No. In the Old Testament, God okay, let me back up. God is a spirit. Therefore he does not have a body. Therefore, he is not visible. And yet sometimes in the Old Testament, God would manifest himself in his presence to people. Those were called theophanies. That's a great big word that means uh, God's showing, God's making himself visible. And oftentimes it was in the form of a cloud. A, usually that, that cloud had some kind of light or fire associated with it. Now, many of us know the story of the Exodus. The Israelites went out. What were they led by? A pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And we think of that as a, just a natural, uh, well, not necessarily a natural phenomenon, but we don't associate it with the, the glory of God many times. But listen to a few of these verses. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way, and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. Exodus chapter 20, verse 21. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Now, I'm not just talking about the pillar of, of, cloud, uh, pillar of cloud and fire, but just, just listen to some of these descriptions and how it's, the, the cloud is associated with God's presence. Exodus 24, verses 16 and 17. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud, and the eyes of, of the sons of Israel... And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. 
Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled in it, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Leviticus 16.2 The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he should not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Now we can go on with other texts, but, but I just want you to see that, that the cloud, this glorious, shining, bright, sometimes uh, fiery cloud is associated with the presence of God. It is His glory on display. Now I want you to look at what, what this says. Look at, uh, uh, look at verse, 30, uh, look for verse 34. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, sounds very much like when God spoke to Moses. A voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now we read that and we say, okay, well maybe it was a dark cloud. Maybe it was a natural cloud. Well, it wasn't a dark cloud that brought shade. Matthew 17, 5 says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice from out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So Jesus promised that some of the disciples, not even all twelve, some of the disciples would see the kingdom of God. And what's associated with the kingdom of God, oftentimes in the Bible, is glory. And, and so this is not, a, this is not a, a, a reality that all people and all tri tribes, tongues, nations, and, and all those things will experience at, at that point. Only some of the twelve would witness it. And that's exactly what happened. Three of them, a quarter of them, saw the glory of God, the, the glory of the kingdom. Now, Peter seems to have suffered from something I also suffer from, and that is foot and mouth disease. Because he is overwhelmed with what he sees. And look, look at what it says. It says, verse 33, as these were leaving him. So Moses and Elijah getting ready to head out. Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. And I wonder if there was a biblical writer writing after everything that I said, how many times that could be put after what I said, not realizing what he's saying. Peter is overwhelmed with what he sees, and instead of staying quiet, he just starts talking. And he says, let's build three tabernacles, three booths, three tents, and Luke says he doesn't know what he's saying, not, be, not to be rude, not to put him down, but he's just stating a fact. He's saying that, that Peter has his heart in the right place, but he's off. He's off for a couple of reasons. Number one, because he's putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. He says, let's just build three, three booths, three tabernacles. No, you should have one tabernacle, that'd be for Jesus. But number two, look at verse 31. They were speaking to Jesus about going to Jer Jerusalem and Jesus dying on the cross. Now, if they set up shop, if they build, a, build these booths, if they start having a tent revival, tent meetings, um, Jesus wouldn't be going to the cross. That would have short-circuited, being contrary to Jesus' mission. Peter didn't know what he's talking about. Now, I mentioned this before, but I'll say it again. The cross was not an afterthought. The cross was not plan B. It was not plan C. It was plan A. This was always God's plan, from the beginning, to bring salvation to mankind. He, he wasn't making it up as he went. There was no surprise to Jesus. It, it was known to the rest of heaven. These, these prophets of old were speaking to Jesus about going to the cross. 
This was God's foreordained plan to bring salvation, and all heaven knew it. The law which Moses penned uh, coming from God, and the prophets, of whom uh, Elijah was arguably one of the greatest, they all pointed to, they told about, they prophesied about Jesus and his sacrificial death. The whole law and prophets pointed to Jesus. And here we have Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, pointing to Jesus. And really, this is the essence of the gospel. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, sinners can be saved. Because of, of his fulfilling the Father's plan, you and I can have salvation. Because on the cross, Jesus bore the sins of his people so that whoever will call and name the Lord will be saved. It's not might be saved, you shall be saved. And the Bible says, if today you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Because we all have sinned, we all deserve judgment. Rightfully so, we deserve judgment. It separates us from a holy God. But the Bible says that out of his great love for us, Christ died on the cross, and he took the punishment that our sin deserved. He bore in his body the wrath of God towards sin. And now all who will call on Christ, all who will trust in Christ for salvation, will receive it. And if you've never done that, won't you today, whether, whether you're, you're, you're here today, whether you're watching online, whether you're listening at a later date, if you've never done that, won't you believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved? Now Christians, we look forward to what's ahead. In the meantime, though, we look around and we kind of scratch our heads sometimes. Because we look around and we say, what is this world coming to? It looks like things are out of control. It looks like the world's going to pot. But listen, there's more than meets the eye. Because God, for His own purposes, and in His own way, is orchestrating all things to accomplish His will. He is the glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules over all things. His kingdom is one that cannot they cannot be hindered. It cannot be stopped. It knows no end. Jesus is Lord. And therefore, we can rest in that. We can take comfort in that. We, we need not be worried and stressed like people who don't know the Lord. Because listen, I, I can't even... I, I saw somebody just the other day on Facebook said that they, they, they were so disturbed by the news they turned it off. They just need to unplug and relax, so they put on a, a serial killer documentary. I mean, that, that's the way it is, isn't it? I mean, it's bad you look at the, you look at the news. And, and it, it, it worries a lot of people, even Christians. And we look at those things, and, and we, we fret and we stress. But listen, we have, a, we have a, a God who's overall. We have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He rules and he reigns in the affairs of men. Therefore, who should we fear? The answer to that is no one. What shall man do to us? Whatever happens to us has gone through his providential hands. Want to stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, as you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just 
I just want you to consider Jesus is Lord of all. His kingdom is one that cannot be slowed down. It will arrive right on time. No powers of hell or schemes of men, as we sing, can ever pluck us from his hand, can ever slow down, stop, hinder, any of the, those other words. God's plan. fact, God is overall the very things that men try to do to stop or to thwart his plan God uses to accomplish his will the religious leaders thought all this will just crucify Jesus they'll put an end to that and that's how that's how God brought salvation we need not fear what's going on having said that those who do not know Christ have every reason to fear because Jesus is the only way of salvation. And if all the COVID stuff the last year and a half has taught us anything is that life is short. Life is unsure. I'm not trying to scare anybody or manipulate anybody. But we'd be foolish if we didn't recognize the facts. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're thankful that yours is an everlasting kingdom that knows no end. God, I pray that even today as we watch the news and we see all the, the stuff that's going on that, that can disturb us, that can make us unsure, thank you that we can rest on you. We can rest in your finished work. We can rest in your providence, your sovereignty. And we thank you that you, you've provided a way of salvation. It is as simple as faith. And God, if there's somebody here who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would bring them to yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen.